welcome to another episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Hello, Broads. Hi, Broads. What's going on? What is going on? I mean, just life. What's new? Life is good. Life is crazy. Becca and I have some maybe exciting changes coming yeah, you know, it's coming up on, I think, has it been exactly a year? Has it been more than a year? Can we, you tell me? November 6th was our first episode, so wow. it's almost been a year Did we decide having this. Are we doing something special for that? I mean, we definitely need to. We need to have someone jump out of a cake or something. True. But we have Wells? to maybe do it. <laughs> Wells, where you at? Um, um, but no, we need someone to jump. Oh, definitely Neil Lane. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, it's kind of cool, though, because I don't think we were, ex- I mean, we've been, Jess and I have been chatting about this a lot lately. We weren't really expecting things to really turn out the way they have in the best way. Oh, yeah. And now we have so many of you broads following along, and it's so cool. And so we're trying to plot our next moves and figuring out how to... How do we take How do we do world? this thing? Yeah. <laughs> How do we expand? We're doing five episodes a week now, starting in 2020. Oh my God, can you imagine? <laughs> well, you guys would be so sick of that's us. Like I'd be the sick of hearing toast. myself. They do, the, they do every uh, morning. Oh yeah, they do. Monday that. through I don't Friday. Know. My goodness, respect. Respect. I'm like, what do you even talk about five My like a week? introvert self could not talk out loud that much. That I guess, often. do they just go over the news? I've actually never listened. Yeah, they kind of do like pop culture. Oh. If I was talking about that type of stuff, I'd probably talk for hours. That's true. <laughs> For sure. But when you're getting into deep things. Yeah, you know us. So intellectual, so deep, (laughs) so so sensitive and emotional. So so many many layers. layers. (laughs) Um, But we've been doing like this non-batch content, which has been super fun. And we've really enjoyed it. And like had we've gotten such a great response from all of our listeners. And um, I think it's fun, too, how we do like a balance usually every week we do yes. like one day where it's kind of more deep and serious mm-hmm. and one day where it's a little more light and fun yes. so today we're doing a deep and serious day we we have a a guest here today and we're going to introduce her in a moment um who actually one of our broads um or two of our broads sent um her info to us and as soon as i saw her story i'm like i need to get her on and so we contacted her and she was so gracious to come and um yeah we're super excited to have um some wonderful and intense and good conversations together i do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning that um i believe gun violence is going to be discussed Mm -hmm. um and trauma yeah trauma so that's something that's going to be a little difficult for you just be aware Mm -hmm. this may not be the episode for you and uh yeah let's get into it yeah oh and just fyi again Please continue to send us people that you'd like to see oh, because yes. of you. We've had now a few guests that we have been have been so amazing um, and we're really excited to continue to see like who you guys want on. We want on who you want on and you guys have great ideas. Yeah, <laughs> so and it doesn't please. have to be like someone famous or anyone with a no, big following. No. If you just have like a friend who's doing something you think is cool or anything really mm-hmm. um, that you think would make a great guest on our show let us know yeah please send our way um so like becca was saying we're about to get into something a journey that we're really excited to talk about um but also is going to deal um with some tough experiences that we really can't wrap our minds around and i think when we get into it we're going to 
um, get into conversations maybe about the medical community. And I'm imagining our guest um, probably has an understanding and admiration for the medical community that is beyond what I can wrap my mind around. Um, We have a lot of listeners actually for this podcast that are part of the community, doctors, nurses, and more. And we're so grateful to have the sponsor to tell you about. It's Figs. What these amazing people do every day is more than a job and what they wear is more than a uniform. So shouldn't the scrubs they wear make them feel good and help them perform at their best we sure think so and figs is an amazing company that does that they make scrubs stylish and functional for the people who deserve it most and for years nurses doctors dentists and other awesome medical professionals were forced to wear scratchy ill-fitting scrubs not only were they uncomfortable but they weren't designed with innovative technical properties to protect and hold life-saving tools not so anymore with figs they've created the highest quality medical apparel for medical professionals every set of figs is antimicrobial which means it protects from germs and bacteria it's ridiculously soft moisture wicking and features four-way stretch figs are made with yoga waistbands comfy and come in a variety of styles from classic straight legs to joggers and skinny styles um i've discussed before uh about this but we were sent a pair of fig scrubs to test out and though i am far from a doctor or nurse i'm obsessed with these uh the fit is super sleek and i would and do actually wear it out because they're also so comfortable like better than any of my sweats um and they have so many fun colors and styles i personally love the uh, zaba and Raphael style scrubs i think they're the best you should check them out um, but also figs gives back every time you shop at figs they give scrubs to healthcare providers in need around the world through their threads for threads initiative and speaking of giving figs makes great gifts for lifesavers in your life figs gift cards are available so with the holidays coming up any doctor nurse dentist dermatologist or pediatrician in your life a figs gift card is the perfect gift so whether you're one of the awesome humans that work in healthcare or someone that wants to say thanks to these deserving folks figs is going to make that easy by providing you with 15% off your first purchase by using my code chatty. Get ready to love your scrubs. Head to wearfigs.com, W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S.com and enter our code chatty at checkout. All right. And without further ado, we've had you sitting here waiting patiently. <laughs> Thank you so much, Norjahan Bolden. Yeah, Am I pronouncing oh, it? We're getting, I'm getting it. I love it. You make it sound so pretty. It's just the most beautiful name. You were telling us earlier what it meant? Yes. So I was saying that it's it's actually, it's not even really a name. My mom gave me a title, a queen's title, and it means the light of the world. Oh, wow. Oh can you, can you say to. it piece by piece again? Yeah. yeah so Noor means Noor, light. Noor. Mm-hmm. in Arabic. Uh-huh. And then Jahan means the world in Persian. So it's actually two oh. different languages. Oh, that's amazing. So really anywhere I go, nobody recognizes my name really? unless they know about the Taj Mahal because the Taj oh. Mahal was built by Shah Jahan for his mother, Nur Jahan. Oh, yeah, so interesting. Well, yeah. Jessica seems like really shitty. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> um, Names are a funny thing. Yeah. Depends on what you're looking Wait, for. Wait, so what? What? Where is your family from? What nationality are you? Oh, it's so confusing. <laughs> How much time do we have? Go for <laughs> it. Plenty Give us the time. simplest or most complicated version you'd like. Okay, I'm going to say my dad is white American, uh-huh. so that's easy. Yeah. My last name used to be Bruce, which would really confuse people because mm-hmm. he's Scottish American. And then my mom is from East Africa, from Tanzania. Oh, okay. Her mom and grandmother are from the De- the Democratic Republic of Congo. It used to be Zaire. Yes. And they're part Baluch, 
Balochistan is a non-nation state in between Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. And then they're part Wamanyema, which is a group of people that lived in Zaire and probably still live in Zaire. Wow. I haven't visited in a while. <laughs> but they moved out to Tanzania. And then her dad's a mystery. And if I tried oh. to say what ethnicity he was, there'd be a huge blowout in my family. Really? Yeah, there's so some people are like, oh, he's Moroccan. Other people are like, oh, he's Indian. We all look really Indian. Uh-huh. But we just don't talk about it because there's contention around that. Oh, drama. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot in East Africa and in different parts of Africa. There's a lot of kind of hierarchy when it comes uh-huh. to ethnicities. So depending on what ethnicity you feel accepted in. My family is Swahili. They were raised speaking Swahili. So you can call me half Swahili, half white, mm-hmm. but then people get confused because I also look a little... So right. it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> like your name. It's exactly. very ambiguous. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's really special. Yeah. Very cool. It's fun. And then I confuse my kids even more. Uh-huh. My husband's black and Native American. <laughs> so I just say they're Puerto Rican. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, that's amazing. Whatever and works. you have three... I have three. Three sons. Yeah, three boys. What are their names? Okay, this is also a thing. That's why I was like, names are complicated. Yeah. Because my first son, my husband loves the sound of names, and Mm. I really love meaning. Uh Uh-huh. So he wanted to name him after Bo Jackson from the Raiders. He's a diehard Raiders fan. (laughs) I was like, I'm not. So he wanted to name him Bo, or what did he want to name him? Yeah, and I was like, I'm not naming my child (laughs) B.O. Like, even Bo Jackson's name was Vincent. His mom didn't name him B.O. No offense to anyone whose name's (laughs) Bo. It's great. Because my son is now named Bo. Uh-huh. But I convinced him to spell it the, French, the French way. way. Yeah. Yeah. I was just so I was like, say. at least it means beautiful. Yes. And yeah. he has a Muslim middle name because my husband's Christian. I'm Muslim. Uh-huh. And that's also its own thing. I just, ambiguity wow. is a great place to live. Yeah. Um, my second one is Zaim because I got to name him. Oh, I love that. It's good, right? His mm-hmm. middle name's Justice. So together, all of their names have meanings kind of as a whole. With What's their Bo's first middle name? So Bo Zamir. Which means beautiful thought or beautiful conscience. Oh, I like that. Right? Yes. Do you feel like it fit, do you feel like each yeah. of the names fit them and like their personalities? <laughs> You're like maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know yet. They're ten, seven. They're and growing into four. it. They're growing into it. Yeah, kind of. We'll see. <laughs> I know. Like only time will tell. Right. I don't know. If I were to name them right now, I'd probably call them like wild and crazy, spirited. <laughs> spirited. I like that yeah. one. <laughs> Yeah, and the last one is Hezekiah Rocky, which is intense. Oh, cute. I oh, like that's that. Adorable. Yeah. yeah it's Do you big. have a nickname for Hezekiah? We call him Hezzy. We oh, wanted cute. to just call him Rocky because that's really cute. I love right? that. Yeah. It's really yeah. cute. I don't know why we didn't. It just didn't we stick. wanted to. We just, yeah, we huh. just didn't. Huh. Yeah. Funny how you have I those intentions. That. Well, yeah. you want to give a little bio of who yeah. you are yeah. apart yeah. from your family? All right. So, oh, so, um, I'm just going to rewind back and tell you guys a little story, if that's okay. Yes, so please. Back when I was in college, I went to school in Southern California at Pitzer College and the Claremont Colleges. And I was in my junior year, I was, I've been passionate about dance since I was little. So like I said, my family is from East Africa mm-hmm. and we learned belly dancing from, you know, the day that we could walk and women would belly dance as a way to kind of celebrate our bodies and our sensuality, even in, you know, a culture where women aren't supposed to kind of go out there and be, woo. Yeah. we would be able to like bring together all of these women and just celebrate and be as sexy as we wanted to be. 
And so I grew up belly dancing. And then when I got into college, I started teaching belly dance on the campus. And my junior year, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. Right? Yeah, what were you majoring in when you were in school? So I went to a liberal arts school yeah. and it meant that yeah. you can literally take classes and everything. So right. I did exactly oh, that. Oh yeah, that's oh, great. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> All about that. And then my junior year happened and they were like, you need to declare something. <laughs> like <laughs> I've done one and everything. I can't, like, I don't even have enough credits in anything to declare yeah. except for sociology. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a looser major. Nice. And I was like, all right, if I take all sociology classes for the rest of the time here, I can declare this and also sociology. Yeah, and it's a cool really major, too. Oh, it's, it's really, really cool fun. Major. It's so fun. Yeah. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh-huh. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it, mm-hmm. but I knew I loved dancing. I didn't, you know, when you're struggling between like the real job, mm-hmm. you know, the nine to five yeah. and the, the stability, or do I become a starving artist and just kind of live the way I want to live? Right. And I loved traveling and doing all these things. So I was trying to figure that out. And that year I'd studied abroad in Morocco. I went to Jamaica, to Italy, to like I was traveling all around. I think I'd been to seven countries that year because my thing was just working really hard, saving my money and just. Mm -hmm. And um, that summer I was about to start working as a van driver. (laughs) Amazing. But my cousin was getting married in Toronto and my family was like, come on, let's just go to Toronto for the weekend We'll go to the wedding, then you can come home and start working. So mid-July, flew out to Toronto with my mom, and I was there with my cousins and my sister and some family. We met some family friends there, and um, we went to the wedding, but afterwards, I had never been to Toronto before, and I was leaving on Tuesday, so we decided, let's go out. And I wanted to go out either karaoke or salsa dancing. Those are like my two favorite (laughs) things in the world, but it was a Sunday night. So we just found the only place that we could find. It was this reggae club, you know, the ones with the really long line outside and you get inside, it's totally empty. (laughs) (laughs) So we went up to the rooftop bar and we were hanging out. It was me, my cousin and two family friends. And we were talking and just really connecting, you know, and sharing all of those things like, you know, dating, you know, whether our parents would be happy with the guy that we were with or you know, should I be a dancer? Should I be, should I do something that's more stable? And all of a sudden I felt a big vibration in my leg and I fell on the ground and immediately I knew that I had been shot. And it's so weird because I, um, you would think that being shot feels like a sharp pain, like a stabbing, but it just felt like I was numb And I was on the ground and you could hear bullets just flying like it was an assault rifle. So my cousin thought it was fireworks and she was like, oh, my goodness, guys. And I was just kept saying, get down. I got shot. I got shot. I got shot. And people were piling on top of me and shaking. And when everything calmed down and the bullets stopped, people climbed off of me and I was laying there and I knew I had been shot and all of the thoughts that were going through my head were, you know, am I ever going to be able to run again? Am I ever going to be able to dance again? Am I ever going to be able to walk? Those are your thoughts in the moment as you're laying on the ground. I was like, what is, I, it was one of those things. I kept saying, I got shot. I got shot. 
I got shot and I kept, I don't know if I thought that saying it out loud would help it feel more real, but it was, it was any night. It was a night that, you know, you don't even remember from your early twenties. I was 21 years old, right? It's a night that we went out. It was, it was a empty club until it had 600 people in it. So it got really crowded and then we went and got milkshakes afterwards, right? It was like yeah. that kind of night, except the milkshakes never happened because instead I was laying on the ground and I put a, a jacket under my head just to try to make myself feel comfortable. And there was, I just remember really clearly this crumpled cigarette in front of me and then blood covering the cement floor. And there was a man right next to me who was laying there I couldn't even see him. Like if if you asked me to remember what he looked like, I couldn't really see him, but I knew that he had been shot and I knew that he was worse off than I was. Well, I, I, I didn't know if I was going to survive, but I couldn't feel anything. Did you have those thoughts in the moment? Like, am I going to die right now? Absolutely. And then there was a point where I just let go and I let myself die. Like where, where I just kind of accepted that I was going to die. And I asked my cousin, this is so funny, and I don't know if I should say it on here, but I'm going to do it anyways. I asked my cousin if I could borrow her phone because I wanted to call my mom. My mom was like 30 minutes away staying with family in a suburb, and she didn't want me to call my mom because she didn't want her dad to find out we had gone out to a nightclub (laughs) because we're Muslim and it's like taboo. I mean, nobody was really thinking, no, right? right? No, no, like, no. So her you're biggest shock, concern you're, was, yeah, yeah. you're not thinking yeah, rationally. everybody is. And so I promised her I wouldn't call my mom, but she let me borrow her phone so I could call my dad. So I mm-hmm. called my dad in California. It was probably 11 o'clock at night for him. It was like two in the morning there. And I told him, I got shot. I'm going to be Okay. The paramedics are on their way, and I'll call you when I get to the hospital. Wait, so did you know you were going to be okay then, or did you just said that? I knew in that moment that I had lied to him because I didn't know. I didn't know how I was going to be. And I, um, but I, I needed him to be okay, and he was calm. And so I almost felt like a sense of completion, you know, like, okay, at least he's not worried. And then I laid there, and it's funny, for the first time this year, this was 13 years ago, for the first time this year, I spoke with one of our family friends who was there, because after that, I'll, I'll tell you guys more about it, but after that night, we didn't connect again. You know, I thought we were going to be lifelong friends, the way that we were connect, the way really? that we were bonding, but it was such a horrifying nightmare that I think none of us could face it again and it made it hard to face each other Mm. so for the first time this year I connected with one of them and she told me what it was like from her perspective because she was on the phone with 911 trying to tell them there are people dying up here they had to have the SWAT team clear the building so it took them 30 minutes to get to the top of the building which I've found out now is not even nearly as bad as most mass shootings where some people wait for hours like even the smallest gunshot wounds can turn deadly because you're just just bleeding out. out. Of course. So she was on the phone with the paramedics trying to save the man next to me who had been shot three times. And, um, and my other family friend was tying up my leg, just trying to tie up where I was shot 
which I learned now they were supposed to like tourniquet it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, um, but she was saying how weird it was that I was so calm, but I think it was because I, you know, everyone deals with shock in different ways. Some people scream and cry. And in some ways I wish that I had, because I think I, I was so calm and I tried to stay so calm for so long after that. You know, I I kept laughing it off and pretending everything was fine and trying to make everybody else feel better about it because it was, I think, shocking for everybody of course. that I never let myself feel any of it. So I went almost a decade of just suffering and silence where I would go into these deep depressions both because of the, so the physical injury really stopped me in my tracks. You know, people think non-life-threatening injury and they think you like stubbed your toe, you know, Mm -hmm. but the truth is it shattered my tibia. It was this close to a major artery. So if it had hit that artery, I would have bled out and died, but it missed the artery. It, it basically when my bone re re grew, it grew back with a hole in it. So it never fully healed. And, you know, things can be tough with our medical system mm-hmm. sometimes. So I kept going back and kept going back and telling them it feels like I'm walking on a broken leg. It hurts so badly. So throughout my 20s, you know, I was 21 when it happened. Throughout my 20s, I was walking with a cane on and off because I, I couldn't even, you know, get from point A to point B without excruciating pain in my leg. I think it's really difficult for people who don't deal with chronic pain to conceptualize it. So like, you know, Mm. when you're saying people think you stubbed your toe, it's like (laughs) you may know um, like intellectually what's going on with your body, but I don't think you can understand what chronic pain and what like an injury like that is like, unless you've experienced it. It's so like foreign. Yeah. And I'd imagine too, like, like the pain would probably take you back to the memory. That was a huge part of it. Yeah. I didn't understand how trauma can get locked in your body too. Like how, you know, when you feel an emotion, yeah, you feel it physically in your body. How do you know you're sad? Because like you feel this overwhelming feeling come into your chest or your stomach. And I had locked so much emotion into my leg because it wasn't just a shooting that was traumatizing in itself, right? I was having fun when, when else could this happen? It could happen anytime. But it was also, you know, all of my dreams, you know, the the choice, the the ability to decide whether or not I wanted to be a dancer was taken away from me. I thought it was taken away from me in that moment because, you know, when I graduated, I, I had this fellowship to go dance in Egypt, but I stayed at home and had surgery instead. I became a teacher, which is awesome, um, but it, it I still struggled with walking. I couldn't carry my kids a lot of times because carrying them from here to there would hurt so badly. I've had multiple surgeries. You know, all of these things are then like I connect it with mm. that incident and I connect it with my leg being dysfunctional and I'm angry. Yeah, and, I was going to yeah. say, is there a sense of resentment? There was for a really long time. So it wasn't until um, 10 years after my shooting and I'm, this happens for so many survivors. It's not just gun violence, but survivors across the board. There's this fear of if I tell people that I'm still struggling with this or if I tell them what happened even, 
they're going to judge me. They're going to think that I'm weak. They're going to think that I don't, that I can't handle this. They're going to, there are all these things that we tell ourselves are going to happen if we say this out loud. And so we keep it inside and it becomes this constant cycle of pain. And it can be something small or it can be something massive. But I went 10 years without telling anybody that I was still struggling, without telling anybody how angry or frustrated or deeply sad I was. And it wasn't until I saw another survivor speak and share her story at an event and it it messed me up. You know, I could, I could barely even stay in the room to listen to it. But there was something about seeing her stand there and share it that felt like it was it was moving. It was empowering. And I went up to her afterwards and I said, you know, it's really amazing that you were able to do that after everything that you've been through. And I just wanted to let you know that I've had an experience nothing like yours. Right from I was in this place where I was comparing pain, which mm. we all we do a lot. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mine's not nearly as bad as yours. And then she looked at me and she said, "You know what? We're looking for a survivor to speak at an event, and we it would be amazing if you would come speak." And I was like, "Oh no, I'm not a survivor." Like I. I, you're clearly confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, let me tell you again what happened. I don't do any gun violence prevention work. I'm not an activist. Like I'm, I'm real. I'm just a person who some bad shit had happened at right. one point, and now I'm here. <laughs> you know, like, but I, that identity of survivor was so foreign to me. Mm. And she kept convincing me that yeah, yeah, we would want you to speak. And I thought she was going to go back to the board, and they were going to be like. No, we were going a real survivor, but they never came back and said that. So they let me speak and I shared my story for the first time out loud in front of 300 people. And when I got off the stage and I looked up and they were giving me a standing ovation, I just, I lost it. I, it was all of this emotion, all of these judgments, all of these things I had bottled up inside of myself for so long. And people cared. People listened. They didn't think I was stupid. They didn't think that I was weak. They didn't think that I was, you know, self-pitying. They, all of the things I had been telling myself. And that was the first time I felt some kind of release where I realized that maybe there is a possibility of me healing and overcoming all of the pain that I still carried with me from that one night, from that one incident. So it was really, really powerful. Did you experience fear in the, in the years after as well? Like the fear that what else might just be around the corner? Oh my goodness. It, it, so it started, the fears started and they were small. And then they would just, it was almost like a snowball effect where it was like, at first it was, I'm scared to go out to a nightclub, right? Because Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a fight or if there's whatever. And if, and I went to one at one, like six months after my shooting Mm -hmm. and there was a fight and I just freaked out and I had to leave. But then the fears started building because I, I decided, all right, I'm just not going to go to nightclubs. Mm -hmm. But then there was a shooting at a workplace, I literally bought 
ladders for the second floor for every office of the second floor of my building and kept it right next to the window so that if anything happened, I was jumping out the window and I would live everywhere I went like this. Then there were school shootings and I was scared to send my kids to school. Then there were shootings in supermarkets and I was scared to go shopping. And the number of things that I had to avoid became outrageous. Like it became impossible to the point where it felt like my whole world was closing in on me. And one of the things that it's funny that you ask about fear, because one of the things that I teach is how we think of fear as a sign that we shouldn't do something right. Mm -hmm. So often we're like, no, it scares me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in the safe zone, like right. My comfort place really fear is on the edge of the world that we know. Right. So this is our comfort zone. If we think of it as a circle and fear is right on the edge. And the more we succumb to our fears, the more that world shrinks. Right. I can't go shopping. I can't bring my kids to school. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. And even when we do those things, if we're doing them and we keep that fear and then we kind of it's almost like a rubber band effect where we stretch and we do it and then we're right back. But when we're able to step into that fear and process the emotions that come up when we do it, right? If I go to an example is, you know, I went to the Hollywood Bowl with my dad and I all of a sudden had a moment. It's so fucking scary. Yeah. You have these moments, right? I was just at the Hollywood Bowl with my daughter for the first time, like with her first ever concert. And I was like halfway through, I was like, we've got to go right now. And my Mm -hmm. boyfriend was like, what are you? And I was like, I have, I don't, I want to go right now. Yeah. And so many of us are feeling that right now. Like whether you've been there when a shooting happened or even just knowing what's going on in our country right now, we're all feeling that trauma. So if, so what I, it's funny, a lot of the things that I teach are things that I've had to learn along the way in order to expand my own world, in order to step into my fears, in order to feel comfortable and free and safe anywhere that I go. And one of those things is, you know, when I'm at a place like the Hollywood Bowl, the first thing I need to do, and I don't know if I still need to do it, it just it depends on if it comes up for me. If it comes up for me that, oh my goodness, somebody could come in here with a gun. The first thing that I do is I come up with an escape plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that that escape plan becomes my entire night. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like, okay, if anything happens, I'm going to hide under there. I'm going to run out there and right. I just make sure that that's, that's still there. My kids about. are right sure. here and that I'm going to be able to run. Right. But now, or, you know, when I need to, I come up with that ex- escape plan and then I let all of the feelings come up that I'm feeling. I allow myself to process them, which just means giving them my attention, my compassion, my love, recognizing I'm struggling. I might tell the person next to me, like the feel I'm getting these feelings. I just need some reassurance. And then I have to make a decision to trust that everything is going to be fine. And that trust, I have to stretch that trust because that trust has to be I believe that everything is going to be fine and I'm not going to get shot right now or nobody's going to come up with a, out with a, with a, in with a gun. I also have to believe that if somebody did come in with a gun, I'm going to be fine. If I get shot again, I'm going to be fine. And even if I get killed, everything is going to be fine. Like I've had to surrender. It's basically surrendering my emotions to the worst possible scenarios and my kids are the hardest. 
I've had to surrender to the idea of losing a child and knowing that if that was what needed to happen in that moment, that somehow, some way, I will, I will survive and I will overcome it. And honestly, the only way I've been able to do that is to know so many women so many women who have already had to go through that mm-hmm. it is i can't imagine a more excruciating experience it's the it's the worst nightmare that anybody could ever possibly imagine and i know so many women men who have lost their babies and somehow found a way to not just survive on the other side but to to have that be a driver for them to create change in this country and change that's ensuring that it never has to happen again for anybody else. That in itself has been such a hard process. It's And I wish with all of my heart that we didn't have to go through that process. Mm-hmm. And there are incredible people. Every time there's a shooting, there's a feeling of hopelessness that comes up for a lot of us survivors and also just the country as a whole and a couple of things that I always do I always practice when that happens to remind myself to just anchor myself in some form of hope because otherwise it's impossible it's impossible to live every day knowing that this is happening I have to anchor myself in hope and the way that I do that is find out what I'm doing, like remind myself what I'm doing right now to create change in this country and in everybody, everybody's lives that I cross. And two is find three people that I can support and empower and encourage who are creating some kind of change that may be similar to mine or may be different. Because the more we support those people, even if it's just, I know today is a really hard day for you, I just want to say I so appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep going. You can do this and I'm with you. Even if it's just a couple of words of encouragement or donations or whatever, you know, whatever it might mm-hmm. be that you can do to support people who are making a difference and also find what you can do to make a difference. It doesn't have to be political. Mine's not political. It's personal. Yeah. It's that's that's where I anchor my hope when things just feel impossible. Yeah. I'm like shaking right now. So I, um, I lost my grandfather to gun violence when I was 17. It's one of those things, like, I've talked about it unemotionally for so many years. <laughs> like, even the week it happened, you know, I went to school and people were talking about it because it was on the news. And I was just like, yep, that was that was my grandfather. Like, that was, like, my second father. That's what happened. And I've been able to say it for so many years, just, like, without any emotion. But then when you're talking about this fear... <laughs> And, like, I gave birth to my first daughter, my first child, eight months ago. And, like, this sense of, like, when I think about anything, like, when I think about SIDS, when I think about, like, shootings, when I think about all these random things that could happen, car accidents, I have this sense of, like, why couldn't that happen to me? Because 
something like that has already happened to my family. So who's to say that won't happen again? And it's so, like, crippling sometimes. And I'm usually a very fearless person, and sometimes that feeling just overwhelms me. And sometimes I get this irrational thought, like, my daughter's going to die because... Why wouldn't that happen to me? And it's just so, uh, it's just so consuming sometimes. And I also struggle with like, what's my intuition and what's fear? Because I'm able to tap into my intuition so well most of the time. And sometimes I'm like, fuck, is this like my intuition saying something's going to, bad is going to happen here and I need to leave? Or is this my fear that's controlling my thoughts right now and creating a false narrative? And that's not my inner spirit telling me to do that. Yeah. And just like, how do you process through that? If somebody hasn't already told you, you're a survivor. And I think a lot of times we think of survivors as somebody different or an experience that's different from ours. But when your life is that closely impacted by gun violence... It can impact every area of your life. And years later, like you're talking about, when you're talking about the 10 years later, I'm like, fuck, this happened to me almost like eight years ago. And sometimes I feel it like more vividly than I did when I was 17. (sighs) Especially when you're a parent. That's when everything got exacerbated for me. Yeah. When did you have your first child? Like was, uh, in what proximity after the incident? It was actually pretty soon after. It was I was 24, so it was three years after the shooting. And I, maybe like you, thought of it as something, something that just happened. That was something that I just needed to move on from and didn't think of it as something that was impacting all different areas of my life. Which the identity of a survivor doesn't mean you're cursed with this for the rest of your life, right? It's just an acknowledgement that, look, it wasn't just something that happened that you need to get over. It's something that when you start to recognize the areas of your life that it's impacting or it has impacted, you can start to look at those differently and you can start to have compassion for yourself, number one, have community, support. And also start rethinking the way that you're approaching those things based on, you know, approaching them from a place of fear versus approaching them, being able to process those emotions and approaching them from kind of shifting what it is that you believe or what what you have Mm -hmm. faith in, right? Shifting yourself from believing that bad things happen all the time randomly and there's nothing you can do about it. That was like my faith for at least 10 years to something different, whatever that is for you, whether it's good things happen every day and those are the moments to live in or whether it's no matter what happens in life, I will find a way to survive and find joy again or, you know, whatever belief that you want to anchor yourself in, it's it's a process looking at those areas of your life and the intuition. I think it's, it's a, such a beautiful thing that you 
see intuition, that you feel your intuition so strongly. And that was a huge struggle that I had too. Well, one was trusting my intuition Mm -hmm. was a huge struggle to begin with because I lost trust for anything I do, decision-making. How many little decisions did I make leading up to this point that Mm -hmm. destroyed my life, right? Decision-making, being able to faith, you know, all of those things. The intuition, this is something that I've that I've focused on more in the last couple of years is figuring out the difference between intuition and fear. And it's really what I use is if I'm feeling an emotion, any emotion, it can block out my intuition. So it's important to come to peace with whatever emotions coming up for you first before you can tell what your intuition is telling you. If I'm feeling fear, for me, it often blocks out my intuition altogether. Mm-hmm. Like I get these ambiguous and I'm going like, this. I, 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 know yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I hold it in my core right yeah. there and it's this tight yes. tightening right in the middle of me. I totally know what you're talking about when you keep doing this. Well, so in the differences, right? Like for me, my intuition is a voice. It's like a, it's a low, slow, calm understanding and like a deeper knowing And when I feel an emotion, it's so funny. I had this happen this summer. I was meeting up with a friend for lunch and I got this huge emotion. And I thought, oh my goodness, the universe is telling me don't go. (laughs) As I'm driving, I'm like, I shouldn't be going here. And then I realized, wait, if it was my intuition speaking to me, it wouldn't feel like overwhelming. Yeah, Yeah, it would would be calm. It's that like voice. It's kind of... It's not that anxiety driven. Exactly. It's not emotionally driven. Mm. It's, and everyone describes intuition differently. I describe it or think of it as like the voice of the universe, like this connected voice that just knows the best way to go and the best thing to do in the moment. And it's not about me. It's about what's best in general for how things are going to kind of function in the world so if I feel an overwhelming emotion, it's not my intuition. That's usually. so, yeah, that's so insightful. And when I was driving, I, I decided I let myself process the emotion. And I realized I had this fear of meeting with my friend because I knew she was going to call me out on something. <laughs> and so yeah, I went with her and I was like, damn it. I have yeah. to face that You're like, I'm getting a vibe. Like, I'm not supposed to be at that restaurant. <laughs> it's not allowing me to go there. <laughs> Anytime I have to deal with in-laws, I'm like, it's my intuition. <laughs> my intuition says no. <laughs> it says no. But that's a huge thing, right? Yeah. Like if you if you believe that your fear is your intuition, it's going to shut down a lot of opportunities for you. Mm. So being able to differentiate from those and even people that I wildly admire and respect, some you know of my greatest mentors, still struggle with their intuition sometimes when fear presents itself because it makes things ambiguous or sometimes it's telling you no when it's actually an emotion. It's a fear that's telling you no. So it's also really wonderful to have community there who can help kind of call you out if it's a friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> or just remind you that, okay, it's probably an emotion that's coming up for you. Yeah. I think that's just so clarifying because I've always thought of my intuition as a nudge. That's the word that I've always used. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and like you're saying, fear isn't a nudge. Fear is usually this all consuming, like panic Don't feeling. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pushes you get in the out, pool get type out. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which isn't mm-hmm. to say that your intuition can't yell or scream at you. Sure. Right. There are times where it's like, don't do it. But even still, like when you meet a person, (laughs) a new person, you know, and you have this feeling in your body of like, this is a bad person. I think that that's maybe a stronger force of intuition that may feel a little more. Exactly. Yeah. And as long as you don't feel it as a feeling, it's instead this like something's telling me that this is not. This is off. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. well, we've been talking about this intense and terrible experience, but the powerful things that you did to grow from it and you've learned so much. And I know when I've, um, gone through things, when I've struggled with anxiety and depression in my life, one of the best things that I've been able to do for my brain and my heart is learn something new. It adds like a spark into your life again, right? (laughs) It gives me feel, it makes me feel confident and helps calm my brain. And honestly, the best platform I've found that offers every type of class under the sun is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography to music production to web development to productivity and more. Whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. Lifelong learning is so important and empowering, and Skillshare makes that really easy. Um, I was feeling really anxious the other day, and so I pulled up the lifestyle section of Skillshare, and I found the class from plant to cup, brew an amazing cup of coffee. (laughs) And it was so simple, but honestly, getting my hands moving and like taking this really cool class helped calm me down so much. Um, Also, for those broads interested in starting their own podcast, they have a class in the marketing section called How to Make a Podcast, Plan, Record, and Launch with Success, and it's excellent and super helpful. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering the Chatty Broads listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash chatty. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash chatty to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash chatty, two months for free. Um, I also have learned how to make some really good meals on Skillshare. And speaking of that, um, I've talked before about all the health issues on my side of the family, like heart disease, diabetes, all that. And every time I go to the doctors for checkups, I get so awkward when they ask about what I eat because... Mama knows a large portion of my food intake is goldfish, hot Cheetos, chocolate, which is all well and good, and I will never stop eating it, but I do need to actually get some substance in my life food-wise, and I've noticed, too, um, when I go full Cheeto diet, I start feeling sick and anxious. I need protein and some green in my life, which is why I'm really grateful for the app Noom. Because of past body issues, I've run away from apps like this, but I also want to make sure that I'm getting the right types of food in my body as well as my fun ones um, that can help with my stamina and self-care. With Noom, it's about habit-changing lifestyle for me, and I'm going on um, I'm going on there to get in the habit of enriching foods. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do. When I first went on, they asked the real why, why are you joining, and it did truly hold a mirror to my motivations and really helped me. 
Uh, when you first sign up for Noom, they very carefully and loving, lovingly seek out what it is that you want. They don't push you into anything. They ask you how you feel encouraged, and they set you up with a personal specialist who will provide that just for you. Uh, my goal was not um, to get in my head, but to simply eat more greens and substance food, and my specialist helped me with that. They're all about self-love and worth and positive mindsets that work for you. I appreciate that Noom allows you to be you and to make the app what you want to make of it. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash chatty. Visit Noom.com slash chatty to start your trial today. That's Noom.com slash chatty. Okay, my question is, how do you begin to examine the areas of your life and to figure out where the fuck your trauma or whatever it is, is impacting mm. you. Cause yeah. even now when we're talking, I'm like, why is this coming up? Like I, I really Thanks did. I, sharing, Cause sometimes, well, oh, yeah, it's it. kind of no getting around it. I, um, just like, yeah. How do you know? Cause you think sometimes you've processed things and that you're, you've moved past things. And like, I went to two or three years of talk therapy following everything that happened. And it's like, I wouldn't sit and cry in my therapy session. I'd be like, mm, let's like talk about my boyfriend instead. Like, this is boring, you know? Like, yeah. So, yeah. how do you start that process? Yeah, it's funny that you say that about therapy because I tried therapy, I, I want to say like six or seven times after my shooting. Every time I got desperate and I was like, I need to do something about this. And I had a really hard time opening up and connecting there's something about it that made me feel like this is transactional yeah. like you don't really love me <laughs> I need you to hold me I know. <laughs> um so I think for everybody it's different okay on the one hand for everybody it's different right it's your own journey of figuring out what areas of your life you're experiencing the most fear I focus the most on fear because whenever there's an area of my life where I don't feel completely free or an area where I feel like I'm hiding, that just means there's something in there mm. that's that's time to kind of step out of. I have six agreements for survivors that I honestly, I, I put out a couple of years ago and I haven't done a great job of continuing to put it out there, but those six agreements kind of address the different ways that survivors struggle generally. And if you take those agreements and look at the different areas of your life, and see, am I struggling with these in any of these areas? It can really help figure out what things that you need to address. Um, I could share those agreements, and now I'm probably going <laughs> to be upset with myself if I can't think of them right now, but I'll try to. Do you want to hear yeah, them? Yeah, okay. and the ones that you think of are the ones that are important right now. That's yeah. true. Oh, but they're all so important. I love them so much. Okay, so the first agreement is just acknowledging that you're a survivor because so many of us compare our pain to each other and mm -hmm. say, well, I was there, but I didn't get shot, or I lost a loved one, but I didn't see it happen. I, you know, all of these things that are, or I got shot in the leg. I didn't get, I didn't get shot in the back. <laughs> like there are these, these little but huge yeah. differences of diverse community of survivors, right? But just establishing that you're a survivor and you deserve compassion for what you've been through is huge. That's number one. The second one is I forgive myself. Because there's a lot of survivor's guilt, and that survivor's guilt can come up in so many different ways. Did you struggle with guilt? Oh, my goodness. Guilt was the hardest thing really? that I... Well, okay. Every, every, every <laughs> time I'm like, wait, is that true? But guilt 
it impacted every single area of my life. How? What kind of guilt? So this need to be nice so that nobody gets angry and does something. I, you know, I felt like I needed to be nice all the time. I felt like I was, I was, if I do everything perfect, somehow nothing bad will happen to me. And so I started just saying yes to everything, never saying no. You know, I've seen you guys talk about boundaries. I had no boundaries because I was so scared that if I said no to somebody, somehow something bad was going to happen. So I lived in a constant state of guilt and guilt is something that I still work through. I mean, as a parent, mm. there's, I mean, guilt is constantly next yeah. level. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And in, in so many different areas of my life, I've had to learn how to forgive myself and just let go of all the things that I'm not doing and feel again, aligned with my intuition about what to say yes to and what to say no to and realize that, look, maybe sometimes people will get angry, but saying yes to everybody all the time, isn't going to be what keeps me safe. Um, That's such a helpful thing like to hear from someone who's not hasn't been in a traumatic situation like that to know that guilt is something that you guys are going through so that like I know for me that I can process when I'm dealing with someone like that. Like I would never even have gone there like, oh, they're feeling guilt. I'd be like, how how in the world would you feel guilt from this? It wasn't like but to hear that is so beneficial. Yeah, that that level and also the guilt of look. I survived the man next to me. Like I I literally watched him die. Who the hell am I to complain about anything? Like who am I to feel bad for myself? I'm sure his family would love if he just got shot in the leg. Exactly. And everybody telling me you're so blessed. What a lucky thing. And I'm like lucky. You know, there were 600 people in a random nightclub and I was one of a couple that got shot. I'm not feeling so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was on vacation. Anyways, I, um, all of that, it shut me down. It made it so that I didn't feel comfortable saying anything out loud. Even honestly, after I spoke and then I heard from people who had lost loved ones, I was humiliated. I was like, they must think I'm so just selfish and just, you know, I'm looking at somebody who's lost somebody that they love and I'm feeling, I'm telling them about my pain. Like and and again mm-hmm. the comparison. My That's so is funny because like I'm I'm on the other end and it's like I didn't I thought about it probably the opposite way where I'm like I don't have to live so with this every day like you know <laughs> and mm-hmm. so many of us mm-hmm. do that right like we take that we that comparison and we think about how ours is not nearly as bad as somebody else's and somebody else yeah. might be thinking oh my goodness I can't imagine what that is right. you know. So I forgive myself is huge. And that, again, these agreements are not like, oh, check, did that one. (laughs) Now I can live a good life. (laughs) It's like I have to I have to remind myself Mm. to kind of revisit these agreements that also I was just thinking when you're talking about the guilt, it's also like, well, I can avoid guilt if I do say yes to everything. So I'm not feeling guilty because I haven't made anyone mad. Exactly. (laughs) Like except for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> when you're like, <laughs> I never get any time for myself. And you're like, I, you never asked for it. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, the idea of putting yourself first, nobody else is going to put you first unless you value your own time, right? Unless you mm-hmm. value your own time and energy and all of that, you know, they'll take what they can get. So you need to be the one that dictates what people can or can't have of yours. And that's that's important, but it's also really hard, especially mm-hmm. if you've experienced trauma. 
Um, the other one, which is so important is I am safe right now. And that's just believing that where I am, I'm safe right now and reminding myself and statistics don't help for me. You know, Mm. people are like the odds that you're going to get shot again. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, well, it happened to me. So I didn't think I was going to get shot a first time. (laughs) Thank you. Like odds are not so helpful. Yeah. But taking that leap of faith and believing that right now in this moment, I'm safe 10 seconds from now. I might not be, but I'm going to anchor myself in this. I am safe right now is so valuable because otherwise it's so hard to be present in the moment. You know, here's another thing that you can experience when you've, when you've been through any kind of trauma really is being present in the moment instead of just feeling like this fog, you know, a lot of people feel, and I felt it for years and years a fog constantly where I'm, I'm physically here, but I'm, I'm not really here because there's a part of me that's constantly scared or there's a part of me that knows that something horrible is about to happen. And when you're looking for something horrible to happen, you can find it. Right. <laughs> like, oh, that's the horrible thing. And then you're anchoring yourself in the bad thing that happened this week instead of the millions of miracles that happened this week. Or maybe even a looming sense, you know? I think it manifests differently for different people where people are like, you know, I'm so anxious. I'm always worrying about if this or that. And it's like when I think something's bothering me, I I never have like a tangible sense of fear where I'm like, what if the house collapses? Like it's more like just this, um, yeah, just a sense of just this kind of like... Yeah. Something like looming. And it's mm. not any, it's not any like. I worry about sinkholes. Fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's so what I mean. It's an earthquake. It's funny that we all have our little things that yeah. we're like, this yeah. is what's going to get me. Yeah. For me, it's like more of when it's at the worst, it's more of just an yeah. aura. And it yeah. might manifest itself in small fears too, where it's like, I have that thing coming up on Monday and I have that thing that I also have to do on Tuesday. And how the fuck am I supposed to get all that done next week? And it seems like very innocuous and just like a, normal thing everyone experiences but when it's constantly just right at the tip of your atmosphere yeah on the surface always a little bit yeah and that anxiety too like living with that anxiety can be I mean it can be overwhelming right and learning to surrender even before something huge happens like a good thing a really exciting Mm -hmm. thing but being able to just surrender and know that you know I'm equipped with everything that I need and I trust that I'm going to be able to get everything done. You know what's crazy is it's been manifesting um, since I got pregnant with um, a very weird thing, a social anxiety where I'll have to meet someone for the first time like three days from now and I will in every spare second be thinking about what that conversation is going to be like whether or not that person's going to like me whether all these and i it's it's been so weird this past year it's like i'm like praying that the person will cancel like because i'm just like yeah yeah isn't that yeah. crazy i think a lot of social I mean, anxiety not, comes <laughs> from after af- when you're pregnant and you've spent so much time kind of like sacredly holding this being and like protecting it. And then all of a sudden you're like stepping out into the real world. Like social anxiety was rough after. It's just weird for me because it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not in groups. It's like, I get really fearful of like one-on-one dynamics and like, Mm -hmm. what if there's like, what if, yeah. What if there's like an awkward moment where we're not, even if it's like a 15 minute interaction, like I had to pick up fucking cats from someone. And all I could think about was like, that's going to be so weird. I'm going to have to go to her apartment. I'm going to have to talk to her and I don't know her. And like, (sighs) And it just starts yeah. like snowballing for some reason. Yeah. 
And that's how you figure out what areas of your life it's impacting, right? Like you Mm -hmm. start to notice those things and then you start to figure out, okay, what works for me when I'm approaching that? It's, I feel like there are some people who say, here's the solution. You need to do this, 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 and this, and then everything's going to be great, right? But everybody's different, Mm -hmm. right? So the, what I like to teach and what I, in the approach that I've been taking, right, is we're all individual human beings, some of us have therapy degrees. I don't have a degree and I did that's on purpose. It's because I think that we should all have the tools to be able to live and feel free and find joy and be happy without having to have a degree in order to know the right or consult path. someone mm-hmm. with one. Yeah. And just be able to look, learn what works best for me. And instead of, so I don't teach the tools for what you should do. Instead, I teach the tools for discovering what works yeah. for you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because for you, it's going to look different than it does for me. When I have anxiety or if I'm freaking out about something, my act of, so I, I know that if I'm having all of these thoughts in my mind, especially when I'm turning to distractions, right? I turn to all of these different distractions, like my phone or for me, it's chocolate. (laughs) Just like, yeah, I'm like tearing up bags of Reese's or whatever it is. I'm like, all right. Recognizing that I'm distracting myself mm-hmm. from my emotions. I'm also having these rapid thoughts of like, what if this happens? That's going to happen. That's going to happen. So when I'm ready, because I hate rules, I hate when people are like, you need to do this, this, and that. I'm like, well, I don't want to. I want to break the rules. So I let myself break all the rules. And then when I'm ready, I do the thing that works for me. And for me, it's, this is going to sound wild, but you know, like, Everybody has yeah. their things. And if I went out and taught this as the way, it might work for 50 people and it might not work for 70. Yeah. So I turn off all the lights in my room. I lay down on the ground. I spread myself out like this because I found that when I'm struggling the most, I turn in and I'm like hunched the over. Crunching. Yeah. So I spread myself out. So I'm like, look. I'm going to feel this and I'm going to let myself feel it. You know what? Let this feeling just take over my whole body because usually what's happening is I'm so scared to feel the feeling that I'm shoving it down with Reese's. (laughs) I'm distracting myself. I don't want to face it. So spreading myself out and just saying, let this whole, let this feeling take over my whole body until it's resolved. And I stay there on the ground until it's resolved or until I don't want to do it anymore and I go distract myself more and I come back. (laughs) But I do that. And for me, then it gives me the peace to be able to walk into that or to go the next two days knowing that this thing that scares the crap out of me or it's giving me anxiety, that everything's going to be okay. I'm not Mm -hmm. feeling those emotions anymore. So those rapid fire thoughts aren't anymore. And I'm just allowing myself to trust that, look, if I've got a big thing in between my teeth while I'm talking to them and I found out later and they didn't tell me because apparently they don't care about human beings. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? They don't love me. They don't yeah, honor like, me. They have me no respect. Have respect to me. <laughs> yeah. Then look, I was meant to walk in there with a thing between my teeth. One time I made a video with this with a big black thing right here and I was like, Fuck it. I'm going to share that video because the video is about vulnerability. And I'm just going to acknowledge that I had a big thing in my teeth. My constant oh my God, struggle. I love it. Yeah. But like being able to trust. I just spit a lot. Sorry. 
But being able to trust that whatever happens in that meeting, even during the awkward moments, even during the moments where I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. with things, that it's going to be the way that it was meant to be. I think even just that physical act of expansion, I think that's just really important. That really resonated with me, that opening yourself oh, up. Yeah. I think it's a. I think it's an act of trust. You're sur- it's surrendering. It's a physical act of surrendering. Well, yeah, when you have that like weight on good. you. I've had like Reiki healers over the years be like, homegirl, because I have horrible posture. Mm. And they're like, you fold in because mm-hmm. I have so much anxiety. And it's all like, you guys are talking about your gut. Mine's all very like heart center. Oh. And so I fold in. So yeah. when you're talking about spreading, it's like, that's when I like fix my posture and I sit up and it's like, oh my god yes deep breath like i'm not it's an opening yeah i'm not like making myself into a tiny ball like when you were talking about the fear and the circle getting smaller i was literally picturing my body like getting tighter and tighter and tighter because that's like what i do in my anxious sleep is i just like curl into like a tiny ball you know absolutely and actually so that brings me to the next yes the next agreement we've got two so far right we've we've got two we've got this is three what's one and two it's i'm a survivor I am, did I say I'm safe right now? No, we've got, we've got got three. I'm a survivor. I forgive myself. I'm safe right now. Number four is I am whole. And that's really important for so many reasons. There are so many people who, after something really horrible happens, feel broken, feel like that was the old me and now they'll never have that back again. You think of things in terms of before and after exactly like Mm -hmm. that was the me that thought that i could conquer anything and now i know that the real world doesn't let dreams come true you know like (laughs) these real thoughts Mm -hmm. you know and then so there's that i feel broken emotionally and then there's also the physically i feel broken Uh like my body doesn't function in the way that it used to function and the idea it's almost a revolutionary idea the idea of feeling whole even as your body is different Or even as like you're saying that you fold yourself in and being able to open yourself up and acknowledge that you are whole, even with your anxiety, even with your, you know, whatever struggles you're experiencing, I am whole and acknowledging that, look, these emotions, you might do a bang up job at working through all your stuff you're still going to feel emotions like the emotions are not going to you're not going to all of a sudden hit, you know, the perfect place and never have to feel emotions again. Those emotions will come and go and they may get triggered. You know, something new might come up. I feel like I've resolved everything from my shooting. It feels like I've resolved everything from my shooting because I don't feel like it affects my everyday life anymore in the same It's definitely not in the same way that it used to. Every once in a while, still something will trigger, you know, and maybe it's a new shooting. And I read a story about this one, you know, the rabbi who got shot while she was giving her a sermon and she kept giving the sermon. And I was like, it brought up all of these other emotions I didn't know were down there. Mm -hmm. So you never know when something's going to be re-triggered. But knowing that, look, even if I used to experience anxiety you know, 30 days a month. And now I experience anxiety seven days a month. Those seven days don't make you not whole. They don't make you like, oh, here I am broken again. Here the mm-hmm. here I am doing the thing that always happens. Still not from point A to B, not still mm-hmm. not healed. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. 
and being able to, and for me, gratitude really helps with that and anchoring myself in gratitude. It reminds me that even on my worst days, even the days that I'm really struggling, that I feel like I'm all the way back to day one, you know, there's this feeling that I've undone all of my healing Mm. and now here I am again, that there's always something to be grateful for. And when I do, when I practice gratitude, again, not as a a rule, because I hate rules, I just choose (laughs) to do it. (laughs) Then I then I'm anchoring myself in the best parts of every single day. And when I'm able to do that, even the bad days don't feel like they're all encompassing. And one way I really want to share, cause I'm so, this has completely changed my life since we're, we're doing this thing where I share things that are weird. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> like the laying please. out. Okay. Ready? This is my favorite thing. And I don't talk about it a lot. I want to talk about it more and I'll get there one day, but so my leg was jacked up for a really long time, right? It, I couldn't, I could walk, but it would really hurt. So I'd have to use a cane a lot. I couldn't run at all. And I used to play soccer and I couldn't, um, I couldn't dance, especially not the way that I used to. I did a little and then my leg would hurt and whatever. So one day I would every once in a while get this surge of hope and be like, I'm going to go running now. And then I go outside and start running and I hate myself and hate my leg because it didn't work. And I couldn't even get like a block and I would go on a walk and then my leg would hurt and it'd be pointless because walks are not that fun. <laughs> like, it's like I want to like, run. Yeah. yeah like what I am I accomplishing river. though yeah. here doing yeah. this yeah. Like, half mile all right, walk? I went yeah. on a stroll and now my leg hurts. That was stupid. Yeah. I mean, so that's how I was feeling. Anyways, so one day I went outside and I was like, this is my day. I'm going to run. I've got this. And I started running and immediately my leg felt like crap and I started to get really angry. But at this point I had been through a lot of my healing kind of like I worked on a lot of stuff and I was like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Maybe I just need to run weird. Okay. So I like started to try to run weird, but it hurt like hell. (laughs) I was like, crap, damn it. Well, I'm listening to really good music. What if I just danced a little bit? So I started dancing and my leg hurt a little bit, but I was like, all right, I'm just going to dance on my left side and just be nice to this leg as it hurts. And then somebody walked by and I was like, (laughs) and then when they left, I was like, okay, let me try again. And then I started just dancing like a, like a you know like the people on the street that are doing yes. the signs yes, I was like yes. they get paid to do this <laughs> I'm just gonna do it for free <laughs> so I started dancing my ass off down the street and then I got to a main road and I was like you know what I'm just gonna pretend that every car mm-hmm. that passes by knows my story Ugh. knows what I've been through and is celebrating my body with me and I started dancing down the main street and just feeling like feeling free. And it was, I started doing it. I felt so good afterwards because I got a real workout. My leg hurt, but it was so worth it. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. I was sweating. I was, and I felt whole. And I started doing that regularly. I did it for nine months, like couple days a week and I wasn't telling anybody that I was doing it. It was like <laughs> it's one thing to have random stuff. cars. <laughs> it's a whole other thing to tell the internet. <laughs> so oh my God. I I did it in private for nine months in public, but didn't tell anybody. And then I I my leg was feeling so much better. I had learned to accept my leg and what it could do and let go of what it couldn't do. 
And one day I was like, I'm going to just try running. Like, I feel like I've gotten in better shape. I feel good about things. I'm going to try this. And I went running for the first time and it hurt, but I could do it. And then I went again and it hurt way more the second time, (laughs) but I could do it. And I, and I just kept trying to do it. And then this happened actually last year. It was the first time I ran and this is 2006 was my shooting. So it's been a long time. And then this past winter, I joined a soccer league. I started teaching dance again. I started really feeling whole in my body. And when May came around, I had gone nine months without a cane being able to do things, right? And then my legs started killing me again. And I had even thrown away my old canes because I was like, like, screw this. My story is that I succeeded. You know, I was like, yeah. change the narrative. And I needed a cane and I was humiliated because I had told all of these people this victory story of like, that wasn't my story. I got my life back. I'm a dancer again. I play soccer. And I was secretly now walking with a cane again. It was for a week, <laughs> but I was so humiliated. So, and I, and of course my humiliation, and then I'm putting it back on my leg and being angry. So I bought myself a purple cane. It's the coolest looking cane ever. I tell everyone <laughs> it's vibranium. And I bought myself vibranium colored lipstick to match it. And I yes. was like, you know what? I'm going to rock this. And I even decided I was giving a speech at a commencement about how amazing life is and how I can like run and dance again. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? If, if I have to show up with my cane, I'm going to, I'm going to let them know that, look, some days I walk with a cane, but I live in the moments that I can feel free. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even if I can find a way to feel free with my cane, it's, it's all worth it. And because I embraced it, because I, I, decorated myself with love for my leg and my cane and I actually didn't have to show up to the commencement with a cane anyways but I rock my cane sometimes still and I'm I'm okay with it because I recognize that look I might end up being 45 walking with a cane but I'm not gonna stop dancing I'm not gonna stop doing any of the things that I love and I'm going to live in the moments where I can feel whole and feel free recognizing that even when my body isn't the way that it once was, I'm still a hundred percent, you know, me and I can accept and embrace that. I also think like, I mean, you're saying, you know, it's not a template for everyone, which is totally true, but I don't think there's anyone that's going to, uh, receive any negative effects from dancing, moving (laughs) and moving about ingratitude. I don't know. No, everyone can benefit from incorporating more gratitude into their mm, life. Absolutely. And there's like me and my friend, we were both going through really horrible breakups a couple of years ago. And I remember what we would do is we would write things that we were three things we were grateful for every day and we'd screenshot it and send it to each other. That's like we just amazing. write it in our notes so nice. every day. And it was like, have you done your three things today? Like, and it, I don't know, especially doing it with someone else. It was just like such a way to center your day, even if it was just for like two minutes. And even if it's like, it doesn't have to be thankful for like my career and like my family, you know, it's like, I'm yeah. thankful that I got to see that cute dog on the street today. Like I'm thankful that I got to have my favorite glass of wine and I'm thankful exactly. that someone let me into the lane on the freeway instead, you know, when I needed to cut them off like that, I'm thankful for that. And just like, Reminding yourself every day of those, like, like you said, those little beautiful things. And the truth is, is that you 
you do survive when bad that would just like hit me so much earlier when you're saying like if i was to lose my child if i was to lose all my children you some you somehow you do survive yeah and you have to find ways to anchor yourself in those moments of joy i feel like one of my favorite things that i've learned in this process because when i first started doing this work i thought especially working with other survivors, I had gone through so much of my healing, even though it's a life, I think it's a lifelong process. Like we're all, we should all be working on improving our lives every day. But I, I was stepping into this working with other survivors and I was like, I just have to be really deep and really like connected. You know, I have to be serious because these are really serious things. I can't talk about dancing in the streets. You know what I mean? And what I love about, about this whole process is that it's made me feel okay with talking about and being in moments that are really sad and hard and depressing in a lot of ways. And also recognizing that even in those times, there are those like moments of joy that are, that you can have both. You don't have to like, because this happened, I must feel sad or because this happened to somebody else, they are a tragedy, you know? Yeah. We can have we can have all of it. They can we can live in this kind of and we don't do that a lot in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone like shows up with a happy. Or if you yeah. show up with a sad, everybody's gotta be solemn with you. you know? Yeah, and, right. and I think people don't realize like it's that those moments of joys punctuating throughout that help you survive. And I think that yes. also it's really um I think we don't understand what it's like to, or or we make expectations of what it's like to be grieving and what it's like to go through grief. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest things I remember feeling after everything happened with my family is like, damn, this really isn't like what I expected it to feel like. Mm -hmm. And like in so many ways. And I remember our neighbors had lost their mother to cancer. Like when I was like 12 and my, my next door neighbor friends, they were like my age. And what I learned from both of those experiences is that like, it just doesn't look how it looks. It really does look different from everyone. Mm -hmm. And you can literally go the same day, the worst thing of your life happens and like go get a nice tea with your friend and maybe laugh about a joke. Maybe if you're lucky and that's just like, there's nothing to feel guilty about that. And if you're with someone don't try not to hold expectations for what they should be going through and exactly. try to roll with it and like roll exactly. with the up and downs, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just, exactly. Like if, uh, and it's this thing where people reach out a lot to ask, you know, how do I support a survivor in my life? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? And you know, there are some survivors where you're sitting in the hospital and I don't want to talk about it like I want to watch a tv show that's going to completely distract me from the fact that my whole life just got turned upside down you know you have to listen to and feel into what it is that they want and need because you and you also have to heal your own feelings first so the first thing I tell people who are asking about supporting a survivor in their life is work on what you're dealing with right now because otherwise you're going to be putting your worry on the other person. Mm-hmm. And if you place your worry on the other person, their only role is then going to be to make you feel better. Supporting you. Exactly. If you, if you are able to work through your stuff first, then you can be fully present and loving to whatever it is that comes up for them. And yep. they're more likely to open up to you if that, if, if they know that you can handle it because you're not struggling on your own. I also think it's just really difficult to be treated as a victim too. And like, 
which is not to say that people shouldn't be sensitive to what you're going through. But I think that in the worst times of my life, someone just being like, like, I'm here for you. Do you want to come over? And that being it, or, or just, you know, if you're not that close, just like, I'm, I'm here for you and I love you. And that's really all you need to do. And don't try to fix the other person. Don't, I, I just remember, um, when I was in high school and, um, and my papa died, my boyfriend at the time was just like, let me come over. And he like, let me paint his walls like rainbow colors, which I knew. And I know now he like really didn't want me to paint his walls, (laughs) but he's just like, yeah, let's go for it. Like, let's go buy paint. Like, let's just have fun. Okay. Like you're, you're crying now. So like, let's sit on the bed together and you can cry. And I'm just going to hug you and I'm not going to say anything or like try to make you feel better. No, mm-hmm. just like he just he just mm-hmm. rolled with it. And it was like the most impactful thing anyone could have done. He's like, yeah, let's listen to music. OK. And he was just there yeah. and he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to try to make me feel better or be like, I am so sorry for what you've gone through. Uh, <laughs> it was just like you just and maybe that's what some people need, but you don't know what another person needs. So just be there. Yeah. Just be, just be I a think friend. Being there is the most powerful thing that you can do. Yeah. Especially without needing to fix them. Yeah. And that's something that I've had to learn also about parenting, mm-hmm. right? Being able to be present to their pain without needing to make them feel better. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How many ways <sighs> my own my own kind of recovery journey or whatever you want to call it has impacted my parenting. I could do like, we could do a whole thing. <laughs> a whole other thing. A it's whole, so, we'll okay. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> no, please. One little yeah. tangent on that. Yeah. And then we'll do it and talk about the last two agreements, yeah. but I was reading this parenting book right now and they talk about allowing your child to go through whatever they're going through. And the, the example that to me was like mind blowing. So I have to go to school day, two days a week. So I have to leave and leave my daughter with a babysitter. And when I leave, she starts crying and starts breaking down, right? No. What's our instinct so as parents, as caregivers or whatever? I've got you. That, but also yeah. like, like, let's say you're the babysitter or you're taking care of someone. Okay, let's play with this. Oh, distract okay, them. Like, let's do this. Yeah. And the book talks about what are we teaching our children about their emotions and about their grief That's when they're so in true. that moment. Yep. And they say, sit with them hold them say i'm here i acknowledge your feelings mm-hmm. you know yes. and of course that might sound dumb to say to a six-month-old no it's not i know you're upset i'm here and that's it instead of being like nee, 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 and like doing this like let's distract yes. you so you don't have to feel this instead oh, yeah. it's like we're gonna train you that- to eat bags of reese's yeah. when you're struggling <laughs> <laughs> well when you're when you're raised like my parents raised me that way where it's like you cannot have intimate conversations when you start to and i'm very sensitive as soon as i'd start to feel emotional it'd be like all right doesn't matter let's talk about something else yeah and it starts to like it fucks you up because you bottle it up and then it ends up coming out in like different ways especially when you get older very unhealthily yeah and almost all of us teach our children that from like two months old so when you're starting it at such a young age like it's so valuable oh my goodness and you know what the author talks about too not all the time but a lot of the time the child will process it for a minute or two and then resolve it on their own it's usually not something that escalates into an hour or two of crying because they process it Mm -hmm. and then they can go about their their business Exactly. That was really powerful. That is, that is, it is so powerful. I we don't we should treat children the way that we should treat adults in a lot of ways, and vice versa. I feel like we we differentiate in a way that we, it's not really healthy for anybody. No, they're just little grown ups. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're 
We're just big kids. Their feelings and experiences are equally valid. But if we don't know how to honor and respect our own, how are we going to do that for our kids? Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's why I always think also that moms, for moms, the best thing that we can do for our children, hands down, is to take care of ourselves first, which I know can be controversial, but I believe that wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And our relationships and... Yeah, they learn yeah. so much from so much more from what we do than what we tell them. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so it's a really powerful thing for them to see. Yep. Okay, so we're talking about feeling confident. And honestly, one of the biggest things that helps me feel good during the day is when I have a bra that actually fits. <laughs> it does help. Yes. Mike's like, yeah. very anxious when a cup is too big or a cup is too small and my boobs are popping out when I'm bending over trying to talk to somebody <laughs> or the straps are slipping like crazy. It makes me nuts. But I'm happy to announce that you can have that perfect fitting, unbelievably comfortable bra with Third Love. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bra bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel and unlike so many other brands with their 12 sizes third love offers more than 80 sizes including their signature half cup sizes and with third love you can skip the mall trip find your fit with third love's online fit finder order and try one on at home no more awkward fitting room experiences and like we have mentioned before we were hesitant thinking there's no way I'll find my perfect fitting bra online. Well, third love proved us wrong from the fit finder quiz. Both Jess and I were matched exactly on the first try with that perfect fit. And one of my friends, by the way, is a 36 E and she got her favorite bra from third wow. love. She was oh. like, finally a bra that actually fits. Yes. Me. Well, awesome. over 14 million women have taken the quiz to date. So it's like all that data, 14 yeah. million. Oh my goodness. Um, did you know also that breast shape matters when finding a good fit? Well, Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. It's amazing. Hands down the most comfortable bra you will ever own. You have my word. Um, Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, return it. Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash chatty now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. Thirdlove.com slash chatty, 15% off today. Amazing. Awesome. So can we do the last two last agreements? Two. Okay, yeah. ready? This one's, it can be a controversial, it can be a hard one. We'll say that. It's your anger is allowed. Mm. And especially for survivors because Anger, anger is often the reason that you were shot in the first place or your loved one was killed or you you were shot at. It can feel so scary to know that you have that level of anger inside of you. I remember a couple of years ago, I had this aha moment when I I was actually trying to do a video on anger and I was like, I want to talk about it, but I can't figure it out. Why can't I, why can't I figure out what I, what I need to say on this? Mm And then I took some time to sit with it and it was because my anger that I had been feeling, especially after a bunch of mass shootings had taken place, my anger that I had been dealing with was the same anger that resulted in me being shot because the man who shot, we never, they never caught the man who shot us, but they say that the man, oh my God, really? Yeah. They never found him, but they, they say that they thought it was a retaliation shooting because the man who was killed next to me was um, had been accused of shooting and paralyzing somebody a couple of years before that. Whoa. And so, and I think about the shooter, I think of somebody who is in such deep pain, who didn't have an outlet, who didn't have the opportunity to recover, who didn't feel like there was anything that could make him feel better except 
to inflict that pain on somebody else. And I was having these like, if only people knew how painful it was to experience this, then they'd make the change that needs to happen. And I started realizing, oh my goodness, not that I would ever, I mean, I don't even own guns. I'm like very, yeah. I, I started getting scared of that pain, right? Like that, that anger, that anger is what causes this pain. It's like the, have you guys ever seen the movie, um, 28 days later? Yes. Mm -mm. Okay. So there's this, this thing called rage and it's, it's like a disease. And when somebody, it's basically a zombie movie. Yeah. Like when somebody, yeah, does the rage like attacks you who has rage, then you get rage. It's the same thing. It's a metaphor for the cycle of violence, which is a big reason that I'm doing the work that I'm doing because there are so many people that are struggling with the trauma of gun violence and without an outlet, then it turns into this like bottled up rage because mm. anger is really just sadness with a with a shield on top. So being able to just surrender to your anger and recognize it as sadness is a really powerful thing. So mm. that's that's one of them. It was actually number four or something, but I you know I mix it up. <laughs> and number six is my favorite. And it took you me remembered all so that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's a big part of the work that I do. It's just a matter of, you know, when you're in the moment and you're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to forget. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. So number six is my absolute favorite. And it took me so long to get here. And it may sound ridiculous that it takes it took this long. I think it takes this long for a lot of people mm-hmm. if they even ever get here. And it's I'm happy to be alive. And again, going back to the guilt, I could not possibly feel happy to be alive. One, because of the guilt. Two, because of all of the just the the emotions just feeling so overwhelming that happiness, genuine happiness, Mm -hmm. felt so out of reach. And I actually remember the day that I woke up and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm happy to be alive. And then I woke up the next day and I felt the same way and I was like all right all right this is just happening right now it's It's cool I'm I'm okay with it just being today at least I had it for one day right Mm -hmm. two days but I've woken up every single day since then it was two years ago and it was because I was making my impact in the world and I felt that and knew that and sometimes you know the same fear that causes us to hide from from you know, scary things like, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I'm going to get shot. I want to keep myself safe. We try to keep ourselves safe from doing big things in the world, from making an impact. And we tell ourselves all of these reasons why we aren't the right one or that we shouldn't, or this is ridiculous. Even other people told me that what I was trying to do was ridiculous. They were like, you need a therapy degree. You need to do this, this and that. And I was like, but I don't want to do therapy. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not, what I want to do is something totally, something that's missing. It's a void. And I want to fill, I didn't, I wanted somebody else to fill that void, honestly, but the void wasn't being filled. I wanted to see the survivor who had been through hell and back and, and loved their life and had found joy again somehow. And I wanted them to tell me how, because Mm. I felt like it was impossible. And even when I started, I thought, well, this might be impossible because I don't, I don't, see it anywhere else but I'm I'm gonna try 
And so I started trying and started trying. And then I started working with other survivors and I was like, oh my goodness, we can, we can do this. Mm -hmm. And does it mean that life is a hundred percent perfect at all times? No, but maybe it will be someday. Or maybe that's just not really a thing, but at least we have everything that we need to live. Not just a good life, like a, a better life than I could have ever imagined before. Every dream that I've ever had, I've far exceeded it so much so that I'm like, oh man, I needed to dream bigger. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was easier than I thought oh it was gonna God. be. Let me make this even bigger. So now my dreams are really wild. I'm gonna dance on stage with Shakira. Ooh. Oh yes! Yeah, uh, I don't have plans for it yet, but it's gonna happen because that's how dreams oh, work. Are you teaching now? I am. I am. So cool. I teach. Um, I do workshops that are okay. really powerful. Yes. How can people who are listening get in contact? What are all with your, your yeah. dancing? Plug all your yes. things. Plug away. Please. Okay. The best part is that my name is really hard to spell, so <laughs> I will spell out my name so that people know. You know, on Instagram and yes. all of those things. And we'll things. have all in the episode notes, broads. We're gonna have all your info, how they can awesome. contact you everything so okay so if anyone's struggling with anxiety and those fears like the really foundational stuff then i recommend downloading i have a free guide that's called it's on releaseanxietytoday.com so that's a guide that will walk you through the steps that i've kind of talked through it it goes a little bit more in depth so people can download that free guide at releaseanxietytoday.com also, I'm so excited because so I used to just do in-person belly dancing classes and kind of in-depth workshops that are a couple of hours long. Um, now I've taken it online. Nice. Yes. I know. And I'm so excited yes. because people kept asking me and I was like, mm. for me, belly dancing is so much about community and connecting with other women. I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around it online. Yeah. So I started taking other people's online dance classes to see what they were doing that I liked and see what I would have changed about it. And so now I teach an online class. I'm so excited about it. And, um, I can, I, I, I have a, a VIP page that I'm, that I can Ooh. share with the listeners here. Yes. Exclusive. Yeah. It really is exclusive. <laughs> I'm like, if I say it on the internet, everybody will know it. <laughs> like, ah. But I'll leave I'll leave the VIP page open at least for the week after the episode goes Amazing. in. Amazing. Thank you. But it's um so it's my it's my nurjahanbolden.com. Mm-hmm. Can you spell out your name again? Yeah, it's N U R J A H A N B O U L D E N dot com slash VIP belly dance. It's a really Ooh, special baby. thing because my classes are $19 per class uh-huh. and they take place every Friday and then people get the recording if they can't make it on Friday mornings. Where at? It's online. Oh, okay. Okay. Online. Yes, okay. In person. Cool. Online. I have, I have actual workshops that I do out in the Inland Empire, okay. but those are kind of far. Um, or sometimes I do classes at conferences like next week, I'm going to do a class in San Diego, but those will all be on my Instagram and things okay. like that. This one, though, I th- it's $47 for four classes, which is like, boom. Oh, my gosh. Usually I do four class packages for 57 So this is a big, that's a big I'm gonna deal. I'm going to start belly dancing. <laughs> yeah. <For real. laughs> the thing about belly dance is that people think that it's, it's something where it's like the technique of the, of the arm is like the, but it's really about 
it's about building confidence. Mm -hmm. It's about tapping into your body. It's about feeling good about every part of your body, especially for me after surgeries and having kids and all of that, you know, there are parts of my body that I've kind of ignored and not felt great about over the years. And belly dance is a way to embrace and celebrate those parts of your body so that you can feel whole and feel good about yourself. You know, whether you're in the bedroom Mm -hmm. or you're walking into, you know, being able to channel that confidence when you're walking into a business deal or, you know, a a boardroom or whatever it might be. So it's a really powerful practice. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing the VIP deal. My goodness. Don't tell anybody else. (laughs) You got a broad to get it here. Slash VIP. It's com slash VIP belly dance. Got it. Okay. She's got it logged in. Oh, anything else that you'd like to plug? I mean, if you're a survivor, so if, if anyone who's listening yes. is a survivor of gun violence, which again, I just want to acknowledge that survivors are anybody who's been impacted by gun violence in mm-hmm. their lives. There's no like, I'm not really a survivor because... No, if you've been impacted by gun violence, then you are a survivor. And I have an online support group, a, a Facebook group, and it's called the Feel Safe Again Community Support for Survivors of Gun Violence. It's actually really long, but if you look up Feel Safe Again, Feel Safe Again is kind of my tagline because everybody wants to feel safe again. Mm-hmm. And most people think that feeling safe is buckling to your fears, but what I teach is that feeling safe means actually conquering your fears and living an expanded life feeling free no matter where you go in your body and your heart yeah so that's fun good stuff thank you so much yeah this is awesome being so vulnerable and opening up and sharing and thank you becca for being vulnerable as well Well, it's my podcast so i gotta do it you know (laughs) but we so appreciate you we so appreciate you and um broads will put all the info in our episode notes and yeah, let's step Thank away so and much. feel free of fear. Yeah. If uh, can I give everyone an assignment right now? Yes, yeah. please. All right. My assignment to you, everybody. Now we have to do it. You guys. Yes. yes. Is to make a list. I love doing this. Okay, this is my favorite <laughs> thing to do. Especially when I feel stuck and I'm like, oh, everything's hard. You know? I make a list of everything I want to accomplish. Okay. Whether it's big or if it's like I just want to get through the weekend, whatever it is that you want to accomplish and to figure out what, which one scares you the most. So when you read oh. it, actual emotions come up for you. You're like, oh, doing my dishes. And just to do that this week, <sighs> this week, pick the one that scares you the most. And maybe for me, like a, a year and some change ago, the thing that scared me the most, I was, I have one of my friends, we try to hold each other accountable for stuff and get ourselves to do crazy things. We were this week, we were assigned a bold action. And I was like, okay, the scariest, but most exciting thing for me is dancing on stage with Shakira. It's not like I can actively do that. So if it's something that you can't actively do, your assignment is to figure out how and make the crazy ass. <laughs> so I reached out to somebody who I knew, knew somebody, and he had said very casually, like, oh, if you ever want to meet her, let me know. But it was one of those, like, mm, he was a friend from a long time ago. Sure. So, so you reached out to him? I reached out to him. I was like, I know this sounds Stop, crazy. I'm cringing. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, but... 
she's gonna be in town in the next couple weeks and i just wanted to see if maybe there's a possibility and you never know. yeah and then he actually he didn't look at me like i was crazy which is good i don't know what he looked like because it was on text but <laughs> he acted like he didn't look at me like i was crazy and he went to his friend who he knew worked those things and his friend's wife was in labor. I know, I know that's mean and it's a beautiful thing and yay for them. But really, but you're like, but I gotta do this. She can't. <laughs> He's like, next time she's in town, let me know and I'll hook you up. So, you know, I'm one step that's closer. A step. Wow. That's a step. The big crazy dreams, right? Ross, the big outrageous. Who knows? Maybe yeah. she listens to the podcast Maybe. secretly and you she's gonna be like, yeah. That's my girl on stage with me, baby. That's my girl. <laughs> You never know. Take me. Maybe someone who listens to the podcast no, knows sir. Shakira. Oh, oh my goodness. You, right? Whoever Shakira's yes. cousin who's listening to this episode. Tell me. Tell me. You got to hook a sister up. You can treat it like a make a wish. I don't care. Like, <laughs> like, she the got, girl who got shot. shot. <laughs> I know. That's Her actually a dream. great in. Like, whatever it's it takes. It. It's perfect. Straight I'll take line. it. Look, I have no shame. I lost all shame when I started dancing in the streets. Yes. yes, let's do I this. Love. Way to live. Yes, yes. and oh, I want right. to say that I use the word crazy a lot, and I know there can be sensitivity around that word. I use it as a source of empowerment Wild. because I think, yeah, like yeah. outrageous, just outside of anything that we know to be normal. So, just want to just thank make you. that note to make thank sure you, everybody understands that. Yeah. Well, broads, you do that hard thing, that scary task, yes. and uh, let's get into it. Woo-hoo. For the rest of the week. Yes. yes. All right. And Tell me how it goes. <laughs> yes. Slide into our DMs. Yeah. All right. Tag me in your stories, whatever it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, broads. Chat soon. Chat soon. Bye. Bye. It's time to welcome winter in New Jersey. Cozy up for adventures and natural wonders from our iconic shores straight up to the skylands. Warm up with timeless moments and a flurry of fun. From festive scenes to frosty evergreens, whether it's two weeks or one day, you can count on New Jersey to have your perfect winter getaway. Explore more at visitnj.org.